welcome to the Learn Perform Mixtape. I'm your host for this podcast, Laura Pasquini. I created this podcast to prepare me and maybe you for the Certified Professional Learning and Performance Exam, the CPLP. These series of podcasts will be my open study notes. Welcome to the learning. In episode 3.7, Facilitation and Presentation Tools and Techniques, we're going to talk about area of expertise is training delivery, specifically what methods of facilitation and presentation will you use for your training delivery, what tools can help you with your training facilitation, how do you facilitate or give presentations in person or online. So we're going to really talk about the following objectives for any talent development professional. You really have to know how a trainer can create a learning climate that helps adults learn the benefits of understanding the course objectives, learning the material, practicing the delivery, and creating great questions for a presentation. You really want to think about how a classroom management techniques start and end and set the expectations for anyone coming in so your learners know what they're going to expect. You want to explain the differences of icebreakers, opening exercises, and closing activities, and know examples of each that you could possibly use for training, and how the use of voice and scanning the class reactions can enhance the learning experience for participants. We're going to define facilitation and talk about activities that facilitate learning, as well as summarizing the techniques for facilitating discussion, using questioning techniques, and the idea of presenting online versus presenting in a classroom setting. So we're going to talk a little bit about some tools like flip chart, software, and other training aids, and what we would use in training delivery. So this is a full episode. There's going to be lots involved, and I'm going to touch on different parts of it and give you some resources for these tools and techniques. So I think it's really important, and this is an area I've been doing most of my life, whether it's been teaching a classroom K-12, help seminar leading in undergrad, or even teaching a facilitation course on how to do this previously in my last role as an academic. That was one of the courses I taught was teaching, training, presentation delivery, and facilitation. So I'm excited to jump right in. So the first thing you do is set the stage, right? So how are you going to create that learning climate? This is the learning experience for your professionals and employees that you're actually training. And this is go back to section 3.1, the learning theories we've already talked about is andragogy, right? They're adult learners. They're going to need a method and practice of teaching adults. So around the principles of how they learn, so self-concept, prior experience, readiness to learn, orientation to learning, and motivation to learn. Jump back into that earlier episode if you want to check out more around that learning theory. Essentially, we want to create an, a climate for learning that's uh, mutually respectful, informal, warm, collaborative, supported, trusting, and relaxed. So that engages people to contribute. And you want to also think about combining strategies and relevant course materials to suit the facilities, the needs, and what the participants are there to learn. In reading Beach's book, The Training and Development for Dummies, great guide, she gives some basics for virtual or physical training environments. First, you want to have a safe haven for learning. So create that space where participants are welcomed at the beginning, whether it's online when they come in or at the door. You're prepared, you share the objectives for training, and you give the participants the what's in it for me, uh, where, why they'll learn, and what they'll take away. Um, so you want to present the course with confidence and add some something that started off like a quote, a fact, or something to, fun or interesting to get the training going. I might use things like Play-Doh to drawing to an activity to get things started. Second, you want to create a comfortable environment. So arrive early to set up the technical equipment, facilities, organize the learning space, make sure everything's queued up if it's online and see that the resources, like if you have a slide deck or handouts available, they're ready and they're good to go. 
You want to encourage participation. So every two to three minutes, typically, you want to create an active um, engagement, some sort of poll, question, nod ahead agreements, maybe open up the floor for discussion. You want to get everyone interacting and getting to know each other. And you could do this with small groups or even paired activities. Obviously, to encourage participation, you want to have an open body language. You want to have verbal cues, uh, give acknowledgement, thank someone for the response, and share personal information about why this is important or what you're going to get into to build trust and rapport. You really want to encourage discussions among learners and use the participants' names if you can, because that really welcomes them, invites them to the conversation, knows that you're talking to them. And fourth is facilitate more than just a lecture. So beyond that chalk and talk or stage on the stage, you should break things up into these sort of mini lectures that also include activities, experiential learning, discovery in between these ideas. You want your learners to process this and have discussions and even have opportunities to ask for uh, ideas, share opinions. And when you deliver the message, you also want to make sure that you're checking for understanding that the training material is not just flying by, but they're getting the knowledge or skills you want to train. This means they're going to bring it back to the workplace and they're going to bring back to their own professional setting. Next, you want to prepare for the training. So to do that, there's a few things you need to think about. Do you understand the objectives and know what the knowledge or skills that they're going to take away? Do you have a clear idea of that? Do you have the materials under wrap? Do you master the content before the learning? And how do you do this? It'll be critical for how you design. So learn that material. You want to practice the delivery, like running questions by others, getting advice, give examples. Think about the flow mechanics and maybe even the theatrics of how this will be delivered. And you want to practice with the tools, technologies, or anything else you're going to use if you have activities prepared for that learning session. And finally, prepare questions to stimulate learning to gain perspective. Um, there's a 10 tips for better presentations facilitation shared by ATD. And they give some more around like how you're going to prepare by looking the part, paying attention to nonverbals. You're thinking about your voice. You're making it loud. You're giving yourself some presence on stage or where you're teaching from. And you're also taking lessons from those who anchor the news, the weather, or also connecting to the audience to paying attention to them and the environment and what's going on around. So it's not so much a variety show that they mentioned, but it's more about um, engaging them in different ways. So I thought I'd pop that article in there for you to refer to as well. The classroom management for training, if you have ever been a teacher of any sort, an instructor in a room or online, you're going to want to have some presence. Uh, So you really want to hold their attention and create a safe space for learning. But to hold their attention, you really have to have an effective way to open, like warm up the group, what will get their attention for this lesson, this training topic. Think about uh, setting the stage for what to expect. And part of that is also setting expectations. So letting them know from the beginning, your professional learners are adults. They want to know why they're there and how they will learn. So tell them about the techniques you're going to use. If it's team-based, if it's discussion, if it's a case study film, let them know about the, the process and how they'll evaluate and the overall agenda for what's going to go on for the training. You want to structure the opening and closing, and you want to do that really well to give um, an opener get their attention, give the key points, bridge in through transitions, so deliver these examples. And then the body of the talk will give some facts, figures, examples, ideas, and demonstrations. But you want to close in and let them know what their takeaways are by restating the key points and what they're going to bring back to their own professional role and work. 
And then if you have anything else requirements like taking attendance or keeping records, so some people give credit to learners or this might be an extra opportunity for them to build in their own training. So you want to let them know um, if they get a certification credit and recognition for attending the training, what that means. And you want to think about how you're going to wrap up. So if you have to clean up an actual space that you're physically in, or if you're going to send any digital documents after an online training, think about what that will look like. Uh, another area of this kind of relates to the techniques we're going to get into next. And those are going to be around a couple different areas that you might encounter when you're presenting or facilitating. So how are you going to manage those difficult participants? So maybe there's someone in the session of that you're training, they're tending to disrupt or doesn't let the flow of the uh, facilitation and learning happen as smoothly. So you might have someone who talks too often, they want to over-contribute, maybe talks too long, you want them to summarize their point, or Maybe they talk at someone else and they want to try to take it over and facilitate the training. Uh, think about how you're going to bring that up um, and also diminish if someone's bringing up too personal or irrelevant issues or maybe if they're under participating and maybe not talking enough. So how are you going to manage that? You want to think about uh, kind of stifling anyone that's recycling what's going on because you want to move on to the next points. And if people are challenging ideas or opinions, let them. But if they don't have evidence or they're bringing you off topic, let them know that you're going to move on and come back to that later or provide them with the evidence and information that challenges what that assumption is. So I think about um, keeping the energy levels high and that might actually help some of these difficult participants. So the strategies that trainers can use for active training will get participants and professionals involved. So you want them to experience this and actually construct personal meaning. So things like brain brainstorming, idea generation, and group processing. You might have case studies to work through, like a problem or event. And this is a good way to model a process and practice or behaviors. Role-playing can let your participants act it out, and that helps them think about their own attitudes or behaviors to practice these skills that they'll bring back into the workplace. So you always want to keep the energy high, and that's with your voice, you're maintaining pace, you're avoiding fillers, and you're enunciating clearly distinctly. You're using participants' names and also familiar terms and expressions. So you want, don't want to have any colloquialisms or things that people don't normally say or understand, especially with examples. You want to use those examples and you want to think about stories that might go along with that as well. You want to praise participants for contributing and maintaining that eye contact, positive facial expressions, and watch how you're gesturing with your hands and arms. I'm known for that if you see me around doing presentations. Feel free to use humor in your sessions, but make sure it's appropriate. And finally, you want to move around the room with energy and not just stand in one spot. Presentation style and behavior for any presentation is really important because it shows how you're going to be involved and bring people into the knowledge and skills and content that you're delivering. So it's the communication about your voice and you want to keep a certain pace. They recommend 140 to 160 words a minute, but you want to be sure that your pitch, tone, volume, and expression is captured in your voice because that's critical. Another way to capture attention is making a provocative statement or a unique demonstration or illustrating how a topic relates to something directly to their own work experience. Think about that as a question and a way to probe the room. Scanning for learners' reactions is important. You need to know how to read an audience and see if and how your participants are agreeing. Are they nodding their heads? Are they raising their hand? Are they being asked questions that you might pull them or getting them to actively show hands, applause, react, things like that. 
You want to think about that professional dress and appearance. So whatever your style is, think about how you're going to influence with look because it does matter and you do carry it. So a suggestion in reading this edition was talking about dressing a little bit uh, better than maybe those attending. So if it's a conference session, how will you present and give your own personality and style with your look and your message? Think about your mannerisms, that body language. So you want to think about avoiding distracting mannerisms like not clicking a pen or tapping a pencil. You want to observe how you're standing. Uh, do you have open arms or are your hands crossed? You really want to try to avoid sitting behind a desk or standing behind a lectern the whole time. And thinking about walking around and having um, yourself towards the participants. So being proximal actually knows that you're engaging them and you're really close to them. Also, you want to think about your own ex facial expressions and know that you can cue an emotion and reaction from what you're delivering by just what you're reading on your face and what they see in your expression. The CPLP guy talks a lot of body language don'ts. So I try to think about how and if and when I do these things like don't rock or sway in place, just stand still or be immobile, using one single gesture of motion repeatedly, crossing your arms, things like that. So you really want to think about what your ticks are. So if you're chewing gum or eating candy, don't make it obvious because maybe you need that to keep your mouth moist while you're talking. Uh, if you know that you have a pointer, try not to use that uh, as a distracting way to tapping it or doing something else like leaning into a microphone or shuffling notes. Simple fidgeting, fiddling, moving around, jingling keys, and little things like that are noticeable for your audience. And you want to also make sure that you're not avoiding eye contact with them. Look at the participants and find some spot to engage and look at them to see what the reactions are. So let's move on to the things you should do to be a better facilitator. We know that for training, you really want your participants to apply. So solid trainers are facilitators first. So they present second, sage on the stage last. It's not necessarily about you, the presenter, but how the information is going to be delivered to that adult learner. You really want to be intuitive to understand uh, what you're sharing cannot be taught, but how they learn can be more effective if you're facilitating. So that's the open environment by getting many people to contribute ideas, by setting the participation area to be respectful, encouraging, and having people stay on topic and recognize other people's thoughts and ideas. You want to acknowledge those to participate by thanking them for contributing ideas. You want to create transitions between questions asked and answered and between topic areas to bring people along with you. You want to be honest about what they know and don't know. So identify opinions from facts if that comes up. You want to express an opinion when appropriate, but don't make others feel like they're being judged if they say something wrong or invalidate the response. You want to give everyone an opportunity to participate, but never force anyone to join in. So give them ways to participate. So if they're quieter, then maybe there's a small group discussion. Or maybe if you want them to share out, you give them a think-pair-share where they talk with a person beside them to start brainstorming ideas and warm up the room. You want to keep the discussion flowing and focused on topic and knowing when to bring on the discussion or when it's time to move on. So facilitation techniques, some simple ones we know, asking questions, open-ended, uh, close-ended, and hypothetical. So a what if, or um, a yes, no, true, false response, or asking people for their opinions in an open-ended. The question answering sessions could be for the trainer or for the participants. So maybe it's what's the purpose of the training, the wrap-up, where you want to quiz the audience, or if there's time available after delivering that content, maybe it's a space for open Q&A. You have to think about this, uh, the size of the group, and how that question and answer period will be managed. Will there be a microphone if you're in a large room? Or if you're online, can people type answers or ask them with an open microphone in a web webinar setting? So transitions, 
What's the segue to go between topics and challenges? And how do you keep that flow going? One thing that's challenging for facilitators is remember silence. Wait time to allow people to think is awkward, but I say, like the cure, enjoy the silence. These awkward pauses allow for people to think and contemplate the information you've just given them and get, gives them a chance to respond and form their idea or ask their question. Active listening is really critical. So rephrasing that question or repeating what someone says for understanding, that's critical. And discussion. So facilitating productive chats. So giving them prompts, uh, questions, topics, and issues, and instructing them on how this discussion should flow and if there should be someone kind of guiding that within their small groups um, with one another. So the role of the facilitator is really critical. And I always um, ask myself as a facilitator, and you should too, am I giving people enough time, equal time, making people feel safe to participate, uh, ensuring that no one's dominating the discussion to let others speak, avoiding choosing sides, uh, being balanced and knowing how to handle conflict. Am I managing the time well? Are things going smoothly? And is there, am I on time on topic? And I'm involving people who don't participate in different ways and summarizing key points for these training takeaways. So think about all of these things. So we've said uh, good facilitators listen, control the pace. Maybe they take notes. Uh, maybe they check in. Uh, maybe they slow down if they need to, if people recognize that we aren't catching up on all the concepts being delivered in this lesson. Uh, you really want to think about being supportive in that process and keeping people focused on task and smile, like enjoy it. You're having fun. And so if you're enjoying what you're doing, then your participants will as well. I gave a little um, article in there in the episode notes, the top 10 skills for effective facilitator that you can refer to. This next area we're going to dive into is kind of the bookends and uh, of the activity, icebreakers, openers, and then closing activities. So openers, it's a way to bring uh, folks into the room and these are your participants. So how are you going to motivate them to come into this training topic? How are you going to prepare them to learn? You really want to set the stage and prime that learning. So I sometimes do an activity like a walkabout where I put post-it notes or flip charts around the room. I might have prompts or questions just to get an idea of what they know about the issue, the concept or topic we're going to get into. They might walk around individually in pairs or small groups and add to these prompts and that breaks open as an example. Um, an icebreaker is another way to establish a safe environment. So you want your participants to get to know one another and know that they're learning with different people and uh, different ideas. So getting to know those around the room, who they're sitting beside, who they're at a small table with, or who's just around the discussion point. If it's an online activity, who's in the room with us today and what are their roles? Uh, sometimes icebreakers involve group interactions. Maybe it's getting to know a personality or opening up a communication style. So it depends on what you're training on. That icebreaker will be really critical for how you get things going and starting that activity. Uh, energizers might be used throughout the session. So if you're in the middle of a topic and you want to check for understanding, you might ask a question, put up a poll. If it's online, and you might find ways to engage folks around the room to talk and allow for dialogue about an issue, a skill, or a topic. And then finally, wrapping up and closing, you want to bring the training session to the end and do this by identifying the key points and those learning objectives. So what will be the takeaway that they'll bring back to work? This could be a call to action, or it might even be reminding people that we're going to reflect on something and assess ourselves when we turn back to the workplace. People do this by offering checklists, maybe key points to take away, and sharing also one thing they've learned about this knowledge skill 
I think it's really helpful to end a session when you're training. I decided to flip back to a book, The Facilitating with Ease. This is the fourth edition that Ingrid Benz wrote. And she talks a little bit about creating conditions for full participation. So really, it's relaxing participants, making sure they understand the topic that's under discussion, and encourage them to think about what they're going to say so they have something to say. Uh, you want to make sure they're committed to the topic and they're informed on the knowledge so there's a fruitful discussion and they feel safe expressing their own opinions so they're not interfered with or influenced by anyone as well. You also want to get an idea that the media room is welcoming. So if it's in person, it's right temperature to the right lighting. If it's online, there's some clear objectives and there's some clear prompts for them to discuss. So they want to feel that they can support their ideas and share them with others. I also liked uh, in her chapter six, Creating Participation, she talks about behaviors that help and that hinder effectiveness. So we know that probing, um, clarifying, asking for more information, um, including others to offer ideas and summarizing, it really helps to encourage people to um, contribute to the group and managing conflict and making sure that um, other p- points of view are brought out. And if they're challenged, there's some sort of understanding between there's differences. And that's okay, creating harmony between the two. So this is all done through supporting and active listening. The behaviors that hinder we often see are the, yeah, but... Uh, So discrediting other people's ideas or people are blocking others from moving forward if there's a team project. Um, You don't really want someone who grandstands, so talks about themselves, their own personal skills and boasts, or even goes off topic and directs the conversation to something entirely different from the training. Um, The other areas that hinder are anyone who's dominating to trying to run the group or dictating what's going on or even bullying or anyone that's withdrawing um, so doesn't want to participate or support or help others. Uh, sometimes it's good to have this person, but sometimes it's a hinder. It's the devil's advocate. So being contrary to the idea, uh, unless there's a sign rule, it gets tough in a group. And then another group of those who might criticize, make negative comments, maybe insults or comments about other people is really offensive. So those are some things to think about as you're managing um, group behaviors, especially when you're doing small group stuff to break people up into activities. So that might be an energizer that you think about. So be aware that you have to inform what the group expectations are for those small group discussions and activities. Some questioning techniques that were brought up in this guide was talking around open and closed-ended questions. So as mentioned before, open-ended uh, could be a hypothetical. It could just be asking for longer, detailed responses. Close-ended questions might be a one word, yes, no, true, false, uh, might get to the point of understanding. When you get into Socratic method, we know that this is a deeper questioning. So um, what are you saying? What exactly does this mean? What is the nature of? Or could you give me an example? Or could you rephrase that and say it a different way? So it's really trying to get uh, to build on a response and to question more for deep understanding. During a classroom session, Beach offers 10 techniques and recommendations for participant engagement. So how do you get professionals to be part of the activities that you're training about and you're talking about? The first one is encouraging participation from the start. So knowing that everyone is welcome, it's safe to participate, and everyone should be involved. Uh, Using cards, or I like to use big post-it notes or small ones. So any shy participants can feel like they contribute or ask a question if they don't want to raise a hand or talk out loud. You want to give away the trainer's role. So maybe encouraging other people to take lead, small groups, maybe someone else passes the baton and shares a conversation a little while or facilitates a discussion in a different way. So think about chunking content and having things talked about in small groups or review questions later and have someone else ask the questions. 
Uh, four is participate, repeat, participate. So really, you want to thank people for their participation, restate it, and then expand upon it so other people can share their ideas and contributions. Just want to think about getting people to do something different from the norm. So if they're sitting there, a suggestion she said is ask everyone to stand up and move around. These could be activities, small groups, moving spots. You also want to think about um, just breaking things up into chunks, right? That's a chunk to learning that goes along with taking a break of some sort. So number six is say a lot without a word. What trainers can do and encourage people is to do things with their body language. So you might move towards the conversation. If I'm like an idea, I might put myself in proximity of where that conversation is going. Um, proximal awareness is really critical and you're in a physical classroom, in a learning space, moving towards the conversation or being present um, in a technique or, and just standing there and waiting for them to contribute is also helpful. You want to remove the tables. That's number seven. So sometimes training setups are like a classroom where you're facing forward. Maybe you want to mix it up, move the chairs around, have a semicircle, have some sort of um, activity they have to do so you need more space. Or maybe you just design group models and small group tables for the discussion. So if you want to change the room and this chair setup, then do that. I think it's really important. Number eight is seeking more attention and getting answers. So you want to identify if something is correct or not, but you also encourage others to contribute and say, what else can we say on this topic and get them to think more about reporting out. You want to select the quietest in the room. So at the training, uh, you want to encourage people who to speak up and maybe at their own leisure and comfort. So you might have them do a small group activity or talk in partners and then share out. So that'd be a way they could contribute, even if they are feeling quiet. You also want to participate until the end. So one action and one activity should build on another. Uh, you might ask them to say, what's one fact learn? Or what's one thing you'll do when you go back to your job? Um, or ask new questions that you have from the training session that you're going to think about asking in the workplace or implementing when you get back to your role. Those are some ways that you can wrap up engagement in classroom. When it comes to engaging strategies online, it's kind of similar, but you won't have the same physical things to worry about, like space, chair setup, um, and things like that. You will want to think about, um, is the training and the course relevant, interesting, and effective? And, you know, give them the what's in it for me, um, what's the point? You want to offer frequent, personal, and helpful feedback to learners. So give them aspects of how they're understanding or how they can improve. You want to require practical final products that learners can show to their supervisors and and or use on the job after training. I always like to make any of my training real and relevant and have them take a problem, an issue, or an idea back into their workspace. If they're finishing up, you offer a certificate for successful completion or recognition that a course is done. So people do badges, some people get uh, certificates. It's up to you to say, you've completed this online training. For some supervisors, you might need to contact them to say, yes, your employees attended and completed this training successfully, so they have requirements done. Others might just need an email or that certificate of completion for an online course and recognition that they have these foundational learning skills or knowledge. You want to personalize the training, so messages, comments, and feedback are received in different ways. If it's a text or if you give feedback through vocal or voiceover or screen sharing, that's really helpful to give the learner more understanding of what they need to do to improve or that they've accomplished it. You want to break the course and training into sections. So this really helps to foster the learning. I'm trying to do that with these episodes by just chunking it on one specific topic for the CPLP exam. 
and you want to help foster learners' self-discipline by establishing firm deadlines. So if you have a wrap-up date of the course, and that's when projects, assignments, activities are coming to a close, um, let them know they have to finish the last discussion at this time, or the project is due at this time, so it can be evaluated, and you can wrap up that course. Other considerations for online training are just around the unique characteristics of what it means to create a community online, how to communicate online, and what it means to deliver information both visually and text-wise. So you need to think about thinking about interactivity online, um, maybe appropriate interaction with learners, whether they're on a discussion board, doing peer sharing, uh, using collaborative spaces, or thinking about the feedback you're going to get. Um, and you're going to keep any of the media and information you have, whether it's print, audio, visual, interesting and relevant to the topic. There are five myths, though, when it comes to presentation and training tools. So we've heard of flip charts and slide decks like PowerPoint and presentations and other training aids. Well, here's the myths that it's really important to use visual aids for training. So here's five of them that often gets brought up. The more visual, the better. Uh, not always so. I think sometimes it's distracting. Um, any visual aid is better than none. Not true. If it's inappropriate or if it's poorly done, you don't need a visual aid. You might just need to deliver the message. Another myth is the more high tech the visual aids, the better. Not always. Tech could fail. Then what's your backup plan? Or what if the facilities you have can't support a certain feature like a speaker you need for sound or streaming video is really poor because the Wi-Fi. Another myth is more things can go wrong when visual aids are in the session, so it's better not to rely on anything. Just do it yourself. Not true. Get comfortable. Play around with some tools, technologies, just so you can present in those spaces and make your message more meaningful. And visual aids cost too much. Well, not anymore. They probably did at one point, but uh, training and technology has advanced in so many years that you have access to them at your disposal, whether well, it's in person or online. There's different ways you could present, and they're pretty low budget for a lot of them. Some options for visual aids and training tools that were mentioned in this section of the CPLB guide are, we know, uh, presentation software, whether PowerPoint, Prezi, Keynote, Google Slides. Who else knows what else you're using for presenting slides? But they're visual objects that sh are shown. It might be many of them. You might use them to guide your talk, or they might just kind of play in the background and, and give some information. Uh, flip charts, easels, also goes with pen, paper, things at their own little working area like note cards, uh, cue cards, post-it notes, markers, things like that. You might also have whiteboards, um, any other kind of types of boards, chalk, blackboards, um, where they can draw. I like having those glass ones we've had. So they're see-through to another image. So you have glass that you could write on and they're like a dry erase board. You might be projecting an image, it might be your slides, it might be a screen, so you could show video content. Uh, you may also need Wi-Fi connection because maybe you have an app, maybe you want them to go to a polling app, or you want them to look something up and do something online on their own devices and tablets. Um, so think about if there's Wi-Fi connection and if it can have a capacity for the size or group you're training as well. Um, audio and video adds to your presentation, so you want to think about any speakers or microphones or things you'll need if you're going to have um, anything playing, like picking out a podcast that you want to play or playing a quick video clip or TV clip um, for to give meaning to your presentation. Think about that. So a couple books that I reference to read in this episode are listed in the show notes. And I'm always curious about what you're thinking about technology for training and how you facilitate and present with these tools and technologies. Drop me a line if you have a technique you wanna share or there's a really cool tool that you're using now. I've only mentioned a few and this is a brief touch on it. And if you wanna know more, 
happy to chat. Thanks for listening to the Learn Perform Mixtape. If you're liking this podcast, subscribe, tell a friend, give me a like and give me a review. If you're studying for the CPLP or you have already, let me know. I'd love to chat and I'd love to get your advice. Comments, questions, thoughts, and love are always welcome. And I have my details in every episode notes. So please reach out. Let's connect.